By now you have heard me say multiple times, spiritual formation is the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. The goal of our summer series this year and the goal of these various spiritual disciplines and practices that we explored together is to create patterns and habits that will cause us to slow down, posture ourselves in the presence of God, and cooperate with his transforming work in our, li- in our hearts and in our lives through prayer, confession, fasting, being generous and living simply, through worship, surrender, serving, living in community, biblical meditation, and solitude. All of these things that we've been looking at are just a means to an end. The end goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to form and transform us, to become more like Jesus in our actions, our words, our thoughts, and our motivations. So as we look toward the fall, my desire for each one of us, myself included, is that we continue to incorporate these practices into our daily and weekly and monthly routines. We're not finishing a series. We want to be able to continue this as part of our lifestyle. But we are going to start a new study together. So this morning, we will begin a study through the book of Philippians. We're going to take it slowly, and we will also um, have international guests with us in between um, in the month of October. But I want to encourage each of you. I, Philippians might be a book that you've already studied this year, because I know many of the Connect groups went through that book. Philippians might be a book that you have studied a lot um, personally. Philippians might be a book that you've even committed to memory. But God's word is alive and active. And so my prayer is for each one of us that when we study this book together, God will do something new in us through these words that may be very familiar to us. So this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or um, follow along on the screen as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11. Philippians is a little letter in the New Testament, but it's a powerful one. Starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. 
For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. This city, the city of Philippi, was patterned after Rome itself, and it sat on the Via Ignatia, which was a major military road in the Roman Empire. Paul was writing to Roman citizens. They spoke the Latin language. They wore Roman clothing. Their coins had Roman inscriptions. Paul and Silas had planted a church there about a decade before the writing of this letter. And in Acts chapter 16, we read about how Paul and Silas were on a missionary journey, and Philippi was not actually on their itinerary. Philippi was not Paul's plan A, but Philippi was on God's plan for that journey. During one night, the Lord gave Paul a vision to redirect him from the region of current-day northern Turkey to current-day Albania, and Philippi was along the way. In Philippi, Paul and Silas met a businesswoman named Lydia and other women who had gathered together outside of the city to pray and worship. Paul and Silas also spent time in the city teaching the people about Jesus. One day, when they cast a demon out of a slave girl, they found themselves in trouble with the authorities. They were thrown into prison. And at midnight, in prison, as they were worshiping and praying, a violent earthquake shook the prison, opening the prison doors and loosening their chains. And in the chaos of that night, the jailer encountered Jesus through those prisoners. And he and his family were saved and baptized. So when Paul penned these words, I thank my God every time I remember you, he had faces to go with those. He had real people whose lives had been changed by Jesus. And then in verse six, he goes on to write this. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when Jesus returns. I believe that just as in the church in Philippi, the Lord has begun a good work in each of us as well. And it's his desire to bring it to completion. A good work here refers to a deed which completes an inner desire or purpose. It's a product accomplished by hand. Any product accomplished or made by hand, art, industry, or mind. When you look at that and you put all those ideas together, I believe that what God has begun in you and me is a personalized work. 
that he will accomplish, it will be fulfilled by his hand because it's his desire and purpose to complete the work. The good work speaks of our salvation, which includes not only an initial moment, moment of receiving salvation by faith through what Jesus did on the cross, but also the ongoing process of daily surrender to Jesus of his salvation work being made real in our lives. We call that sanctification, if you want a technical, fancy word. See, our spirit is born anew when we put our faith in Jesus and we receive his forgiveness for our sin. But we're not just a spirit. We are body, will, emotion, mind, and soul. And when our spirit is born again, we enter the lifelong process of learning to retrain our body and our soul to submit to the spirit of God who is living within us. This retraining includes surrender, something that Steve Goebel preached about a couple weeks ago. Daily putting to death the desires of our natural flesh and allowing God's word to rewrite our thought patterns to rewrite our brains. Paul is saying here, I am confident that the Lord God who desires to work in you will, by his own hand, complete his work when Jesus returns for you. And then in verses nine through 11, Paul goes on to say that he was praying for them. Sometimes when I don't know how to pray for somebody, I open up the letters of Paul. Because many of his letters include a prayer. And we also know that God's word is powerful and alive and active. And God's words are good words to pray for the people in our lives. So Paul says that he's praying for them. And he goes to outline this prayer. I would like to break it down a little bit so that we can look at it kind of line by line. First of all, he's praying that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Some translations use the word discernment. So that they may discern what is best or approve what is excellent, treasure what is morally excellent. Also so that they may be pure and blameless until Jesus returns. Another translation says, actually leading lives that move others away from sin and so that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. I'd like to look at a couple of these. The the, um, pure and blameless is an interesting one. Okay, so Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more so that you can be pure and blameless. Something that is pure is uncontaminated. It's, it's unmixed. It's, it's, you don't have two different things mixed together. Something that is pure is uncontaminated and whole. Something that is blameless is free from hurt or harm. If you are blameless, you are free from hurt or harm, not offending or causing offense. But I thought that the combination of these two words is interesting because in my mind, it made me think of both being on the offensive and being on the defensive. 
right? So we're being pure. We are making choices to not be mixed with the world's way of thinking. But then also, we're blameless. We're free from hurt or harm. We're choosing to be free, to not be offended or offensive. I read this quote in a commentary by McLaurin. Nothing makes a man more sensitive to evil than a hearty love for God. I think that's what Paul's praying here. He's saying, I pray that your love may abound more and more because the more you love God, the more you desire to be pure before him. The more we love God, the more sensitive we will be to anything that is impure or anything that would contaminate us. The next line was, Paul was praying for them to abound in love so that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Now, righteousness, I think we've talked about it before. It can be a difficult word to understand. What does it actually mean to be righteous? We receive our righteousness through Jesus because we can't earn it ourselves. Righteousness is right standing with God, it's uprightness, it's purity of life, it's integrity and virtue, it's correctness in the way you think, feel, and act. And it is a gift to us from Jesus, but we also have to work it out, live it out, cooperate with it, carry his righteousness. We can't produce righteousness on our own. God is the source of righteousness. But when our love for Jesus overflows, the result will be the fruits of righteousness, which are very much like the fruits of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5, the integrity and purity. And in Galatians 5, we have the whole list of the fruits of the Spirit. And if someone's brave enough to stand up here and sing the song, you may. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss one? Kim's ready to sing. What is the purpose of all of this? See, this is Paul's prayer. Why is he praying this for them? Why is he praying for their love to abound so that they can be pure and blameless, so that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, so that, why is he praying these things? He says, it's for the glory and praise of God so that the glory of God will be revealed through us. That is what he's praying for these believers. The ultimate prayer is that the glory of God will be revealed through people. Paul says, I pray for your love to abound more and more. So all of these other things will be your reality. Love is like the keystone in this prayer. The definition of a keystone is the central principle or part of a system on which all else depends. In building, maybe when you see an arch, there's a keystone that holds the other stones together. It's a different shape. 
It's the stone that's put in that locks everything else in place. It's the key stone. In an ecosystem, a keystone species is an organism that holds the whole system together to the extent that if that animal or organism is removed, the entire ecosystem is changed. There are many examples of keystone species. There's the, there's the gray wolf out in the western states. The elephant is a keystone species in the... Um, various places that you find elephants over in Africa and Asia. I want to give one example this morning. A hammerhead shark is a keystone species. They eat cow nose rays, and the rays eat clams, oysters, and scallops. When they're all in a proper number, you have a balanced food web. In recent years, when the hammerhead sharks were over hunted in the mid-Atlantic coast, along the mid-Atlantic coast, the cow-nose ray population increased to an unproportionate amount. And in order to support all of those cow-nose rays, the scallops and oysters and clams decreased to the point where in 2004, this food web was so unbalanced that it shut down the scallop fisheries in North Carolina. A keystone is the central principle of which everything else is dependent upon. Love is the keystone that Paul is praying for here in the lives of the believers in Philippi. When love is removed, the entire culture of the family of God is changed. So Paul is praying for their love to abound more and more. Now, I just think that Paul would have been a very interesting English teacher. Abound already means more than enough. Above and beyond or filled to the brim. And Paul says, I pray that your love will abound more and more. Like he adds on to the already more than enough. So it's more than more than enough or beyond above and beyond. When Paul prays that our love will abound beyond above and beyond, beyond. Ugh, I said that wrong, didn't I? Beyond above and beyond. It's like he's got this, this bigger picture than what we sometimes see, right? And then he says, I pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge. And the knowledge, the word that's used for knowledge there means knowledge gained through firsthand experience. He says he's praying that the, the love of the believers would grow so much in their firsthand experience of Jesus, their love for Jesus, and their love for one another. He's praying that it will grow as you walk it out, as you experience it. May our knowledge of Jesus, gained through firsthand experience, grow and grow, and fill us to the brim and overflowing 
May we love others beyond, above and beyond. And then he says, because love is the keystone, when our love for Jesus and others abounds more and more, it's a process, it's a growing process, it's something we never completely attain until we get to heaven, right? It's, it's an ongoing process. This love is growing and growing, and it's an ongoing process. But when that is happening in our lives, then we will be able to discern what is best and approve what is excellent. Then we will be pure and blameless, leading lives that move others away from sin. Then we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And all of this, is to bring glory and praise back to God. So when I love the Lord with my entire being and I love others, even as I love myself, the glory of God will be revealed and recognized through the discernment, purity, freedom, and fruits of righteousness displayed in my life. I don't know about you, but that makes me kind of feel weak in the presence of God. I'm so thankful for his grace because I can't do that in my own strength. But God gives us the grace to live lives that are overflowing with his love and to bring him honor and glory. He is the one who works within our hearts and will bring his work to completion or fulfillment in us. This week, I was meditating on some verses from John 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus was teaching his followers about the importance of abiding in him or living in him, staying connected to him, just as branches are connected to a vine. And he goes on to say in verses 9 through 12, Let me just quickly find it. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I was thinking about those verses. It's easy to just kind of read them all as a group and the common, the key word is love, Right? But I was thinking about these verses, and as I was meditating on them and thinking about them, it, it really struck me, that first phrase, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wow. Like, Jesus was perfect. He never did anything wrong. Of course the Father loved him. He was God's son. Of course the father loved his son. 
but I never really stop to think about what that means. Jesus is saying, just like the Father loves me, so I love you. Just let that penetrate in your heart. It blows my mind to think about that because I know I'm not perfect. I know my inner thoughts. I know the things that Jesus knows about me because he knows everything about me. And yet he says, just as much as the Father loves me, I love you. Wow. He goes on to say, so remain in my love. And I was thinking, okay, well, how do we remain in the love of Jesus? And verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. This is not just obeying Jesus' commands so that he loves me. It's obeying his commands because he loves me so much that I want to love him back by obeying. You see the shift? This is not a religious thing. I have to obey so that I am loved. This is I get to obey because I love him so much and he loves me. Because he loves me so much, I get to obey. And when I obey, I remain in that love. He also talks about filling us with joy. When we obey, he fills our lives with joy. And then verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love is the keystone. And we all know it up here, right? We know that we're supposed to love the Lord, and love others. There was a, there was a teacher um, of the law who came to talk to Jesus, and he asked Jesus. The teachers of the law loved to ask Jesus tr- trick questions, to kind of trip him up and see what he would say. And the teacher of the law asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Okay, he was talking about the whole Old Testament. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said in Mark 12, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment, the teacher of the law didn't ask about the second greatest, but Jesus continued on. The second greatest commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love is the keystone. But sometimes there are things that happen that make it really difficult for us to go from knowing it up here to really being able to receive the Father's love and give it out. There are lots of different things, and we don't have all day. So I won't keep you all day. We do have a whole day, but I won't keep you all day. 
I'd like to talk about two things this morning. And um, both of them, this kind of the summary that we're going to look at together, um, I, I gleaned the principal points from these from two different books. Um, and they're listed in your notes, and I'll, I'll reference them along the way. But there are two things that can make it really difficult for us to receive the love of the Father and give it to others. One is insecurity, and the other one is unforgiveness. Insecurity is a lack of confidence. It's feeling uncertain or anxious about oneself. There's something that happens when we lose focus on who God has created us to be. When we lose focus on who God has created us to be, it can cause us to be insecure. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read Paul is, is giving a whole, um, just a whole object lesson, if you want. If you're a kid's ministry or youth ministry person, we use object lessons, right? Paul is using an object lesson here. And he's reminding the believers in Corinth that just like a human body is made up of various parts that each have their own function, in the same way, we as a group of believers and, the, and even those not just in this building make up the body of Christ. And we each have a particular function in the body of Christ. We are not all the same. We know that here, right? but sometimes we don't live like it here. We're not all the same. We're not all a mouth. That's a good thing. We're not all eyes. That's a good thing too. We're not all big toes. But you know what? We need big toes so we don't fall on our face when we go to run, right, Dane? Sorry, I just caught his eye because I was watching him run across the football field this week. We each have a function, a role, a gift that we bring to the body of Christ. And what happens is when we start comparing ourselves to one another, several things can happen. Either we become really insecure because you always can find somebody who does something better than you do. Or you can become proud because you can always find some, someone who doesn't do it as well as you do. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And I thought, that's a really good one-liner there. It is not wise for us to compare ourselves to one another. Years ago, like a long time ago, some words were spoken over me that I held on to. They caused me to be insecure in who God had created me to be. I didn't realize I had held on to them 
They were just misspoken words, words that I'm sure the person who spoke them would not remember today. But as I was going through my journey and learning to grow in my gift as a leader and a teacher, those words came back to me. And I realized I was walking in insecurity in who God had created me to be. And part of that were those words that I had held on to in my heart. Insecurity wonders if we're good enough. Insecurity is often masked, as I said, in pride or a need to be noticed. Insecurity drives us to perform and try harder, never allowing us to be content with our accomplishments. The reality is in our culture, we gain significance and security and confidence and identity from what we do. But in the family of God culture, our significance and confidence and identity comes because of who we are. We are children of God, the Father, the Almighty One. When we can recognize our insecurity and repent of that false mindset and receive a greater portion of the Father's love for us, we can step into a greater level of freedom. So this morning, we're going to pause for a minute. And if you have a handout, you can follow along. The words will also be up on the screen. These things are from... um, well, now I didn't write it in my notes, but I think I have it in your notes. The, this prayer is from a book by Dale Mass called, And David Perceived He Was King. But I would like for us to pray this corporately. Can you go to the next screen, please, Christian? Okay. So let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit to do some heart work this morning. I'll try to not read it too fast so that we can all read it together as a prayer, okay? Holy Spirit, reveal to me any event from the past that birthed insecurity in me. Let's pause for a minute. We just invite you, Lord, to show us even those things that we have not thought about for years, like the words that I remembered that had been buried for years. All right, let's continue. I forgive those responsible, and I forgive myself. I break the spirit of shame that entered my life through that event. Lord, remove any false identity I received from it. Father, help me see myself as you see me. Renew my mind to agree with you, Father God. Reveal to me any time I slipped back into performance, insecurity, and that false identity. I choose to receive your love and remain in your love. 
And Lord, we thank you that you are the one who brings healing to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who gives us our identity, that we are your sons and daughters, that you see us, that you love us, that you call us closer to you. And we thank you for that this morning. All right. Now that we took care of that one, we'll move to the next one. Another thing that really can affect our ability to receive the love of the Father and give it to others is unforgiveness. And the, the um, things that I have listed here in your notes are from week seven of the Freedom Manual which is a series that is similar to Cleansing Stream. So we live in an imperfect world. We all know that. That's not a surprise. We live in an imperfect world with other imperfect people. We all know that too. That's not a surprise either. Because of that, we all experience wounds. Some are intentional. Many are unintentional perhaps cruel or misspoken words, neglect, betrayal, abuse, all of those things can be like arrows that are dipped in poison and shot at our hearts. When they cause a wound in our hearts, we have a choice. We can hold on to the wound or we can let it go so it can heal. Choosing to hold on to a wound leads to a festering infection which can result in bitterness, offense, unforgiveness, and bondage. In the natural, a wound that is festering and becomes infected can cause a lot of damage. Several years ago, one of my lively boys was playing out in the edge of the woods on a Sunday afternoon. I saw his friend earlier this morning, he's not here right now, who was with him. And as they were dismantling an old fort that had been constructed, he stepped on a nail. The nail went through the muck boots that were on his feet. Of course, when you have something like that attached to your foot, you yank it back out, right? And so that is what he did. Came into the house. We worked at, you know, looking at it, did what we could. Put, I think I'd probably put stuff on it to, you know, clean it out or whatever. But it really, really hurt, and it got really swollen. My sister's a doctor, so I get free consultation, which is really helpful. <laughs> so I called my sister, and I was like, okay, this is what's going on. You know, what, what would you recommend? So we soaked it in Epsom salt. We did everything we could to try to help it be clean and um, to lessen the pain and be on the road to healing. However... My sister said, 
If it starts getting red on the top of his foot, you must get that checked. So after a day and a half, we realized the top of his foot was very red. Long story short, what happened is that nail puncture closed up and trapped the infection inside. That's what happens in our hearts. When arrows wound us and close up without being taken care of. The infection was caught inside his foot. We ended up in the hospital for five days. He had to have surgery to clean out the infection because it was so trapped in there. And they actually went from the top of his foot as well to help drain the whole puncture wound out. Those things hurt. Wounds in our hearts hurt. Words can hurt. Neglect can hurt. All kinds of things can hurt. But when we close that up and we trap it inside, that hurts more. That causes more damage. The key to being set free, to not allowing those things to fester in our hearts is forgiveness. There are many reasons we struggle to forgive. I'm with you all. There are many reasons we struggle to forgive. Maybe we don't understand what forgiveness really means. Or maybe we don't think the person deserves forgiveness. Maybe we don't think that forgiveness is fair. Maybe we don't have the strength to forgive because the wound is so great. Just a couple reminders. Forgiveness does not mean that we are ignoring the sin or excusing the sin that was done to us. Forgiveness does not, necessarily, does not mean that what the other person did was acceptable or right. Forgiveness is not the same as everything going back to how it was before. Not the same as reconciliation. But forgiveness is important. It's a really big deal to God. And forgiveness is a choice. We have a choice to obey God's command to forgive as we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We forgive others in response to the great forgiveness we have been shown by Jesus. I'll say that again. We forgive others in response to the great forgiveness we have been shown by Jesus. 
it's really hard to forgive others when we don't realize we've been forgiven. There's no shame in this. I've been wrestling with this a lot this week because I know these words can be heavy, but my greatest desire is that all of us can walk in a greater freedom so that we can receive God's love and let it flow to those around us. And there are things that we have to let him touch in our hearts so that we can be free so that we're not walking in bondage, so that we can walk in his freedom and his healing and be whole. In the song that we sang earlier this morning, Christ and Christ Crucified, the the line, there were two lines that stood out to me, but especially the second one. One was, no sin is bigger than your blood. We thank you, Jesus, that no sin committed against us is bigger than what the blood of Jesus can cover and cleanse and heal. And the second line, no shame is stronger than your love. See, the enemy wants to keep us in shame so that we don't walk in freedom. He wants to keep us in shame. He wants to keep us in a place of bitterness. He wants to keep us in a place of feeling defeated because he knows what happens when God's people are set free and on fire. So this morning, I invite you to consider praying together about forgiveness as well. Now, obviously, when we pray together as a group, if you're not ready to take this step, I invite you, I ask you to please continue to have conversations with God about this at home this week. We'll work together here to say it, but if you're not ready to say it, you don't need to say it. I won't look. But this is something that's been on my heart for a really long time. And I want you to know that God desires, I believe that the Father's heart for each one of us is to help us take that next step of forgiveness. It can be a journey. Several years ago, our family experienced a lot of um, ripping away of relationships. And I would forgive and thought it was taken care of. Then I'd get in worship before the Lord and he would be like, right there. There's a little spot there yet. And I would have to forgive again. And I would experience freedom. And then I would be in worship again sometime or reading the word and another little spot was still there. And I'd have to forgive again. Sometimes that's how forgiveness works. Not just a once and done thing. But there's a tremendous freedom that happens when we go through the heart work of forgiving. 
So I invite you to pray this prayer together. Lord, instead of loving, I have resented certain people and I have allowed unforgiveness to live in my heart. Forgive me for my sin of holding on to offense. I ask you, Lord, to give me the power to forgive those who have hurt me. Lord, I forgive, you guys can fill in the blank, and release them to you now. Give me strength to pray for them and bless them. Thank you for breaking these chains off my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. When we walk in confidence of who God has created us to be, and we walk in freedom, in the freedom that comes from extending forgiveness to others, our hearts are more able to receive the Father's love for us. There's some really interesting verses about the love of God, and I'm wrapping it up. <clears throat> some of my favorite verses over the years have been Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Where it's another prayer of Paul's, and he's praying that the people will be rooted and established in love, that they will have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, and they will know this love that surpasses knowledge, this love that's beyond being known, and that they will be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And those verses have been some of my favorite verses to pray for people over the years. The last month when we were at the Send, when Francis Chan was speaking about the love of God, there was something that struck me. Because there's another verse in the Bible. This verse speaks to our heads, right? And it's not a bad verse to pray. But Paul's saying, I pray that you can comprehend it. You can comprehend the love of the Father. But there's another verse that talks about God's love. It's Romans 5, 5. And it says this, Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just need to say, God, I need you to go around this part of my body. I need you to go directly to my heart. Will you pour out your love through the Holy Spirit directly to my heart? Because sometimes our heads get in the way. And we try to reason and understand and logic our way into God's love. And we just need him to pour it out in our hearts. So this morning, I invite you to stand. I invite the worship team to come and the prayer team. Now I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over each one of us. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to pour his, the Father's love into our hearts in a greater measure. See, when we do this heart work and we can get rid of some of the stuff that is gunking up our hearts, there's more room for the Father's love to fill us again. And when I love the Lord with my entire being 
and I love others, the glory of God will be revealed and recognized through me. And that's our desire. That's, that's our purpose in life, is for the glory of God to be recognized and revealed in and through us. But we can't do it on our own. We need the Father's love. We need the Holy Spirit to do that work in us and through us. As we surrender and we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, we know that the good work the Father has begun, He will complete. He will bring it to completion in us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this place. Thank you that we can enter into your presence together. I thank you that you are good, that you are worthy of our trust. I thank you that we can trust you with the broken pieces of our hearts. I thank you that when we give you the brokenness in our hearts, you do not shame us, you do not condemn us. You invite us close and you cleanse us and heal us and restore us. I thank you that you are good. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning to pour the love of the Father into our hearts again. I invite you to put yourself in a posture of receiving whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's raising your hands, maybe it's kneeling before the Lord, whatever it is. Lord, we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would fill our hearts beyond, above, and beyond with your love. We know we don't deserve it, but it's not about what we deserve. It's because you are the one who calls us sons and daughters. And your love is not conditional upon what we do. So we receive your love today, Father. I just invite you. The prayer team is here if you want prayer for healing or if you want someone to talk to to help you help you walk through praying for forgiveness, whatever it is. But more than that, I just invite you, if you want to come and just bask in the presence of God and allow him to pour his love into your heart in a greater measure, I invite you to come. Come to the front, come to the aisles, whatever it is. If you need to move to a different spot, move. But God's presence is here. His gift of love is here for us to receive. Don't walk out without it. Let's worship.